All right, are you ready for God's Word today? If you would open your Bibles to Isaiah in the Old Testament, the Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah chapter 53, and we're going to dive in there in just a few minutes. We're actually going to look at four different passages of Scripture today, and I'm going to move quickly, but there's something that God has put in my heart that I really want to share with you that I think is important for us as a church today. You know, when I read throughout Scripture and I look at the nature of God, my heart is stirred and I have to believe that God is concerned about everything that's going on in our lives and God is concerned about every area of our lives. I'm convinced of it. Uh, for example, when I look through the Old Testament, there are at least eight different places where God reveals his nature by his name. We know in the Old Testament, God is referred to as Jehovah. But there are at least eight times when God gives us a compound name, Jehovah-something else that he connects to it. And that word that connects is a description of his nature and what he wants to do in our lives. So when I read through the Old Testament and I see some of these stories, I realize God's concerned about everything that I'm facing. For example... One of the Old Testament names of God says God is our righteousness. He's the one who imputes his righteousness to us. Another name says that God is our sanctification, which means it is God who sets us apart for his purposes. There's another place where the compound names, and I'm not going to go through all the Hebrew in the Old Testament. There's another place where the Old Testament name says that God says, I am always there. How many of you are glad today that he's not left you, he's not forsaken you, as we were singing earlier? He's always there. That's the nature of God. There's one place where it says that God is Jehovah Shalom. We all know what peace means, what shalom means. It means peace. God is the one who brings peace into our lives. It's his nature. One of his compound names says that he is our provider. Literally, it says he sees and he meets the need based on what? He sees. God wants to be our provider for every good and perfect gift. There's one account that says he is our banner. Now, the word banner probably doesn't mean much to you today. But let me just explain it real quickly. In the Old Testament days, and even today to some extent in, in our history, when armies go to battle, they carry their flag out to battle to say, we are the army, we are the forces of such and such a nation. What God said was to the nation of Israel, when you go out to fight battles, I will be your flag. I will be your banner. You can go forth and know I am fighting for you and I will help you win your battles. It tells us about the nature of God. And then there's the name that says Jehovah God is our shepherd. He leads us. He guides us. He feeds us by the wisdom of God. He wants to be the one who leads us throughout all of the challenges and the issues of life. But then there's one more, the eighth word that I want to refer to, the eighth name, where he says, literally, I am the God who heals you. I'm the God who brings physical healing to you. Now, let me, let me just say this right up front. Everybody comes from different places. I talked with some people after church today who've come from a whole different place in life from which I came and a different spiritual feeding than what I came from. We had a great discussion talking about things that God's doing in our lives. But here's the point I want to make. From the time I was a little boy, I've seen the power of God at work in healing even in my own life. As a teenager, I saw it. In all these years of ministry, I've seen it over and over and over again. God still cares about the physical needs of his people, and God still heals today. We hear testimonies almost every week here in the church of how God has intervened and brought healing to someone's body. Now, why am I saying that today? Because I believe God wants us to recognize and live with the understanding that no matter what area of my life might be in need, God desires to meet that need. When I look at the Old Testament and I see the compound names of God, I also see the promises of God. We're going to look at Isaiah 53 for just a moment. And 
In Isaiah 53, several hundred years before Jesus was born, Isaiah was it was revealed to Isaiah what the crucifixion of Christ would look like. You find it in Isaiah 53. And we're not going to read all of that chapter. We're going to start reading in verse number 4. And I want to show you what it says. In Isaiah 53, verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now pause there just a moment. I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm not great with the languages of the Bible, Hebrew, Greek, into the other Chaldean, any other languages that might be used. But through my study and my tools that I use and Strong's Concordance and other tools, you can find the real definitions of some words that aren't always real clear. For example, when it says, surely he has borne our griefs, in the original writings, what it literally says is our sicknesses. Surely he's borne our sicknesses. When it says he's carried our sorrows, it literally says he's carried our pains. In this painting of the cross before Jesus ever came to earth, Isaiah saw it that Jesus would pay a price on the cross that we could be made totally healed and whole and well. The rest of the verse says, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. In other words, we didn't even fully understand all that Christ was doing on the cross. They did not understand it in that day. Paul wrote and said if they understood who Jesus was, they never would have nailed him to the cross. But then look at the next verse, verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. Transgressions are our rebellions against God. Iniquities is our fallen nature that causes us to be susceptible to certain kinds of sin. Our nature just goes in that direction. Jesus took punishment for all of our sin and our broken humanness. And it goes on to say, the chastisement, the price, the punishment for our peace was put upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. The word stripes, by his stripes, it means blows to the body that cut into the flesh. It's a picture of what Jesus suffered when they took the cat of nine tails and the Roman soldier began to rip away his flesh and his muscle from the bone. The horrible, horrible beating he took. By the stripes, the beating on his back that ripped away the flesh and caused the blood to flow, by those stripes we are healed. And the original word literally means to mend, to cure, to repair, and to heal. I cannot... Ignore the obvious message of these verses. That on the cross, Jesus carried our sins. But he also carried our sickness and our pain. It's in those same verses. I can't ignore the fact that Jesus paid the price for our forgiveness. And he also paid the price for our healing. That every part of our being could be made whole. It's all right there at the cross. You know, it grieves me sometimes to hear people limit God. And sometimes we even argue whether or not God still heals or whether or not God wants to heal. Is it his will? Will he? Will he not? What about this? What about? We get a thousand different ideologies and a thousand different philosophies going. And sometimes it causes us to ignore the simplicity of God's word that God gave us to build our faith and to encourage our faith in him. Is it God's will to forgive sin? Well, forgiveness and healing come from the same source, the cross, where Jesus suffered and died. When I consider Isaiah's picture of the cross, it makes me believe God's concerned about every part of my being. But then let's take one step further. What about the ministry of Jesus? When you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you read the story of the life of Jesus. Let me ask you today, how would you describe the earthly ministry of Jesus? First word that comes to my mind is miraculous. It's unbelievable. You know, John wrote in his gospel, he said, if all the things that Jesus did had been written and recorded, the world could even contain all the books. Jesus went from miracle to miracle to miracle to miracle. But one of the things that you see in the ministry of Jesus over and over again is healing, physical 
mental, emotional, spiritual. Everywhere he went, he touched hurting, broken people, and he brought healing and wholeness into their lives. It's amazing how many healing miracles there are in Scripture concerning the ministry of Jesus. So when I consider Jesus' earthly ministry, it makes me realize God's concerned about every area of my life. And you know, what we choose to believe and how we live it out in our daily personal faith journeys, that's on us. That's on my journey, that's on your journey. What I choose to believe is on me. But God's word is God's word. I can believe it all or I can throw it all away. If he lied about one thing, what else did he lie about? If he told the truth about one thing, he must have told the truth about everything. And I need to consider that and at least live with an understanding. God is concerned about every area of my life, even my physical needs. One more thought before I begin my message. How many were thinking, oh my gosh, she hasn't even begun yet. <laughs> stay with me. I know my time frame and I'll stay in it today, okay? But when you read through the New Testament, you know, consider the letter that was written to the Hebrews, the book that we call Hebrews. We're taught throughout Hebrews that in Christ, we now have a better covenant than the Old Testament covenant that God made with Israel. So all that stuff he said in the Old Testament about who he was, we now have a better covenant, not a less covenant, not a more restricted covenant. We have a better covenant through Christ Jesus. And Hebrews 13, 8 promises that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which tells me if he cared in the Old Testament, if he cared during the ministry of Jesus, if he cared when the Hebrew church was written to, then I need to stop and realize today, reading through the book of Acts and the epistles, that he still cares about everything going on in my life, and he wants to be involved in all of it. He's an active God. He's a living God. So what I want to do today, I want to talk quickly this morning about three healing questions three healing questions and like i said i'm gonna look at three different passages here so stay with me if you have a bible follow along if you don't the verses will be on the screen first of all mark chapter 5 we're going to look at a story in the ministry of jesus that i think brings an intriguing question to mind mark chapter 5 beginning at verse 21 it's a long story i'm not going to read all of it i'm going to stop Kind of fill you in, then I'll come back and finish it. Begin at verse 21, Mark 5, verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. Now, Scripture's painting a picture, so see it. Jesus travels across the Sea of Galilee. He gets out of the boat, and right there at the side of the sea, a huge multitude of people gathers around him. Next verse, 22. Behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came. Now, pause here a minute. The synagogue was the religious place where the Jewish people gathered to discuss scriptures, to be taught, and to learn and grow together spiritually. One of the rulers, the leaders of the synagogue came. His name was Jairus. Jairus by name. And when Jairus saw Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet. Now look at the next verse. And Jairus begged Jesus earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Now, sometimes, if you're like me, when I've read through the Bible and I read a story for the umpteenth time, sometimes when I know the story, I tend to go really fast because everything with me kind of works right here. But sometimes, if I don't slow down, I miss the weight of what's being said. This father comes to Jesus and falls at his feet. He's a religious leader, and he looks at Jesus, and he says, My daughter is at the point of death. Please, please, help us. And I love the words that he says. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live look at this man's faith he's the ruler of the synagogue it was often that in the synagogues they rejected jesus 
Many of the religious leaders, especially at Jerusalem, Jesus was tearing up their system. He was finishing out the writing of that old covenant, and they weren't happy about it. They were losing their grip of power, so they fought against Jesus. But here this religious man comes, falls at his feet, and says, you are my only hope. My daughter's at the point of death. Would you please come to my house, lay hands on her, and heal her, and then I know she'll be well. Think about that father's cry. Imagine if it was your daughter, your grandchild. What if it was someone close to you who was facing an illness before their time to go? And you stand there wondering, what can we do? This man heard about Jesus and went and found him and asked him to come lay his hands on his daughter and heal her. Verse 24, so Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now, we're going to stop the story and pick it up in a few minutes. I'm going to tell you what happens next. Jesus is moved by this man's faith. He's moved by the need of this man's daughter. So Jesus says, okay, I'll come to your house, I'll lay hands on her, and I'll heal her. So they start the procession going to this man's house. We don't know for sure how far it was, but we do know this. A crowd of people, a multitude, a mob of people is surrounding Jesus. He's having difficulty getting through the crowd. Can't you see this dad? Hurry up, hurry up. Can't you see him reaching out for Jesus? Hurry up. Can't you see him telling the disciples? Tell them to hurry. Tell those people to get aside. We got to get to my house because my daughter is sick. She's at the point of death. He is my only hope. He's got to get there before she dies. But this group of people's jamming in around Jesus. And there in this crowd, it's this little lady. She's been sick for years. She's got hemorrhage in her body she's losing blood she spent all of her money on doctors and only got worse but she said in her heart is what scripture says if i can just get close enough to jesus i don't need a conversation if i can just touch the hem of his garment as he goes by i'll be made whole so this little lady in her weakness in her sickness in pain in this weakened condition somehow works her way through the crowd that as jesus goes by she reaches out and just brushes with her hand the very bottom of his robe when that happens scripture says virtue power goes out of the body of jesus and jesus stops he looks around and says who touched me who touched me and the disciples laugh jesus what do you mean who touched you everybody's touching you see this mob of people everybody wants to get close to you everybody wants a piece of jesus what do you mean who touched me and I'm going to paraphrase it, but in so many words, Jesus said, no, I'm not talking about the hand of flesh. Flesh. I'm talking about the hand of faith. Somebody has reached me in a different way and touched me, even though it was just my clothes. Power has gone out, and something miraculous is happening. And Scripture said, as they search through the crowd, this woman tells her story and says, it's me. Jesus turns to her and says, daughter, go your way in peace. Your faith has made you whole. I mean, what an amazing story. You've all heard sermons about that. But the more interesting thing is, while all this has happened, Jairus is over here. Come on, come on, come on. We've got to get to my house. My daughter's sick. We've got to get there. And so they begin to start the journey. And as they start the journey, somebody pops up and says, Jairus, we've got news for you. Look at verse number 20, uh, 35, rather. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, Jairus' house, and they said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Can you imagine how that dad felt? I mean, he's on the journey, he gets to Jesus, and Jesus says, I will come and do it. He says to Jesus, if you just come lay your hands on my daughter, It'll heal her and she'll be well. Jesus said, I'll do it. And the journey begins and then this woman comes along and interrupts the whole thing. And because of that, it's too late and his daughter is dead. In the middle of a journey to a miracle, another miracle interrupts Jairus' plans. I remember years ago on a Sunday morning, I can't remember, it's probably been seven, eight, maybe even nine years ago, Sunday morning after service, somebody came up to me and said, Pastor Gary, come on, you need to go with me real quick. We, we need to pray for this lady. Now, I told first service, I'll be honest with you, uh, I am 
I'm very much flesh and blood. Sometimes I can be very much carnal. I don't float around on a cloud all the time. For those of you who didn't know that already. And, and let me just tell you something. They say men have X number of words they can use in a day. After I've preached twice, my words are done. My wife will tell you, I don't need to say a word the rest of the day. I can eat lunch. I can take my nap. I can sit and watch a football game. I may not say one more word the rest of the day. And my poor wife has to live with that because she's got, what, what twice as many words as, as the average man. So she's learned to deal with me. She's so gracious. Everybody give her a hand this morning for being so gracious with me. But it, <laughs> now give your wife a hand because she's gracious with you. All right. There you go. So what happened was when, when service is over, Hear me. When service is over, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a typical man. I've done this. I tie the knot. I've done this. I tie the knot. I preach first service. I preach second service. I've greeted some people. Bam, I'm done. I'm ready to go to the office because, number one, I need to use the restroom when church is over. <laughs> some of you don't even wait till church is over. You go out in the middle of altar call, which you should not do. But at any rate, we'll get to that on another Sunday. Everybody smile. Okay, we're just having fun for a minute here. But I was like, you know, I need to go to the restroom. I need to get a drink of water. I need to just relax and catch my breath for a minute. I've used all my words. Let me just recharge my batteries for three minutes. This guy's over here. Come on, we got to go right now over in the children's area. And I said, what's the deal? He said, there's a mother over there. She's got little children. She's got really serious back problems. And they're going to do a surgery this week. And the surgeon doesn't give her much hope. She needs a miracle. She could very well be paralyzed and be stuck in a wheelchair the rest of her life. We got to go pray for this woman. And so, of course, I'm thinking, well, dude, go pray for her. You know, it's no big deal. Go do it. Oh, no, no, no. I need you to go. And, and it was, I'm going to tell you, it was an interruption in my day. Be very honest with you. Because I'm like, we got prayer teams. We got, we got other pastors. No, no, no. You got to come. Okay, th this guy, and I'll be honest. I don't remember who it was. He grabbed me by the arm. Said, come on, let's go. Took me out the side hallway over to the children's area. And we got there just as the mother's leaving the children's area with their children. She didn't even know he'd gone to get me. So he introduces me to her. We talked for a minute, and I said, I understand you're going to have surgery. She said, yeah, it, things look really bleak. Doctors don't give me much hope, but I've got this horrible pain. My back is in a mess, and I, and I don't know what to do. I said, well, he believes God can heal you. Do you believe that? She said, well, I know he can. I said, then let's pray right now, and let's believe him to do that. Now, remember, my, my words are used. I prayed a short prayer, I promise you. I didn't, I didn't beg and plead for 15 minutes. I prayed a short prayer of faith, prayed with her, gave her a hug, went on about my day. Didn't think anything about it for the next few days. That week, the woman went to the doctor for the final exam before the surgery. They did x-rays, ran more tests, and they found out her back was completely healed and well, and she had no more pain. Now, it's not about Pastor Gary. It's about Jesus who paid for that healing. It's about the healer. It's about the Old Testament God. It's about the New Testament God. It's about the God of today who is still Jehovah, our healer, and he wants us to look to him when we have physical needs. Sometimes an interruption in your day is a God moment. Jesus met this woman's need, but now he's got Jairus. Now, I want you to read on, okay? Look at verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken... As soon as he heard the word, she's dead, don't bother Jesus. Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, now notice this, he turns to the man and grabs him. Hey, 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 look at me, look at me. Do not be afraid, only, I hear the, I hear the music of angels right now as I'm saying this. Do not be afraid, oh, that was somebody's cell phone over there. Do not be afraid, here's what Jesus said, only believe. Only believe. In the original writings, it's so clear. He says, believe only. He says, have faith. The word is pistis. Have faith only. Nothing else. Focus on faith. Focus on what God has promised he will do, what God says he can do. Only believe. And here's the first question I want to present to you today. Only believe what? Only believe. Believe what? Your daughter's dead. Jesus grabs it. Hey, hey, hey. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Don't make room for fear. Don't give up. Believe only. That's Jesus' instructions to him. 
What am I supposed to believe? When things don't go the way I thought it should go, when I'm on this journey, I'm expecting God to do this specific thing, like Jairus was expecting his daughter to be healed, but suddenly news comes and it says, it's over with, it's done, forget all about it. What do you do then? Believe only that God is bigger than that situation. See, I think what Jesus was saying to Jairus was, Jairus, go back to your original faith. Why did you come to me? You said, come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Jairus, don't abandon that faith. Isn't it interesting how many times we have abandoned our faith when things didn't go the way we thought it should go? 24 hours, I didn't get my answer, so I gave up. I mean, it takes great faith to believe for 24 hours, doesn't it? Especially in today's world. Push a button, you get it right now. I mean, Amazon's faster than God sometimes. Did you know that? You can get it one day, two day, prime. Well, God, I've been waiting. So what are you going to do? Put your faith in Amazon? That's what we tend to do. If God doesn't answer quickly, we go to point, we go to plan B, plan C, plan D, all the way to plan Z, trying to look for another answer. Jairus, here's the news. She's dead. Jesus says, believe only make no room for anything else set everything else aside and believe that god's bigger than this situation you know i think sometimes when we face those moments what we need to do is stop and say god i believe you can i believe you will and i believe you'll do it for me that's the bottom line Will he do it for me? Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold fast or let us hold on strongly, tightly to the confession of our hope without wavering for God, the one who promised he's faithful. Take God off the clock. Let him work. Only believe. And the interesting thing is Jesus wound up, and making the whole story short, Jesus wound up going to Jairus' house, casting everybody out of the house except those who would stand with him in faith, and he raised the daughter back to life. And it was a bigger miracle at the end than it would have been at the beginning. Some of you are facing situations you've been waiting a while. Only believe. He can, he will, and he'll do it for you. And then the second question, real quickly, look at John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Some of you are saying, are you really going to finish on time? Promise me I am. John chapter 5, look at verse number 1. I, I love this story, but it's got one of the more intriguing questions that you'll see in Scripture. John 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. So there's this pool, and it's got porches around it, five different porches. Verse 3, in these porches lay a great multitude of sick people. Now, notice what it says, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. These were serious illnesses. It's not like it's the waiting room where everybody's got a cold and they're afraid to sneeze on each other. It's not like that. These are serious, some of them life-threatening situations, at least life-limiting situations. And they're sitting around waiting for the water to just start stirring up on its own. Verse 4, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, do you see the picture? As far as I know, this is the only place in Scripture that talks about this. In the ministry of Jesus, it gives us this story about some occasion or occasions when an angel would come down and cause the water to stir and the first person that got in the water was healed. So what happened was, all these porches are filled with extremely sick people waiting for the waters to get stirred 
And the first one in gets a healing. You know, I think sometimes we see church this way. I think sometimes we see God this way. It's kind of like Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> Whose number's going to come up? We're going to pray for needs today. Which prayer is God going to answer? Can I tell you something? God has the ability to answer all of them. Oh, first one in wins. Everybody else, you're losers. So notice what happens. Verse number five. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had been in that condition a long time, Jesus said to him, and notice this, do you want to be made well? Is that not the most unusual question you could ever imagine? Can you imagine being in Jesus' shoes and you look at this guy, he can't move, he can't get in the water, he's stuck there. Hey, dude, you want to, you want to get well? No, nah, I think I'll just be sick. I like it here. I like my connect group. We're all sick. We got no future. Oh, one of us might, because if the angel stirs up the water, so we're all sitting here open, we get to be the lucky one. But hey, I got a great connect group because they understand my sickness and they just believe I'm going to be okay until I die of my sickness. It's a great group. That's the attitude this guy has, evidently. Because Jesus asks him the pointed question Do you want to be made well? Verse 7, the sick man answered her, him, Sir, I, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well and took up his bed and walked. See, this man had faith. He had faith that someday these waters are going to get stirred up. So I'm staying as close as I can, but I don't know if I'll get an answer to my faith or not. Jesus said, do you really want to be well? Is that what you really want? Can I ask you a question today? What do you really want? What do you want enough to fight the fight of faith to receive? See, I, I've learned something in my years, which have been a few. I've learned you've got to fight for your faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If you don't fight for your faith, you have no faith. If you don't spend time in God's word letting your faith grow, your faith will shrink and go in reverse. The circumstances of life will become greater than your faith. And then you arrive at a place in life, well, maybe I can get in the pool, or maybe this guy can help me, or maybe that one can help me, or maybe this will And the first thing you know, your faith is everywhere except in Jesus. I think what Jesus was saying was, can you focus on me for a minute? Do you really want to be made well? And then Jesus just spoke the word, and in a moment's time, the man's healed. He rises to his feet, takes up his bed, and he walks. Like I said, standing in faith, believing God. That faith that is bigger than the situation. That only believe kind of faith. There's some work involved in it. Do you want an answer to your prayer? You know, God can change everything in a moment of time for you. He can change it all in a moment question is, do we, do we want to be made well? Do we have faith for that? You know, I know in our church world today, a lot of people get stuck on the question, was well, it God's will to heal? If so, then why isn't everybody healed? I can't point to any one situation and answer why people don't get healed. I know there are a lot of people who are prayed for and are never healed. I know that. I can't look at any one situation and say, here's the reason why. But I can take you to Scripture and show you several reasons why people don't receive healing. For example, one is unforgiveness. Jesus said, if you've got unforgiveness towards somebody, 
And the flow of love doesn't go this way. It bottles up your relationship with God and you don't get answers to your prayer going this way. He said, you want, you want your prayers answered? Lay down your gift, lay down your bribe, go to your friend, go to this person, make things right, get the unforgiveness out of the way, forgive, move on, then come back and come to God and God will answer your prayer. Unforgiveness will bottle you up. Not only that, you study scriptures, a lack of faith. A lack of faith keeps us from receiving from God. Sin in our lives will keep us from receiving from God. Unconfessed, unforgiven sin. I remember years ago when I was a young preacher, I met this guy. He had once pastored a great church in the southern part of the country. And he had a large ministry. He had a radio ministry back in those days. That was a big deal back in the 50s and 60s. Great preacher, probably one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard in my entire life. An amazing orator. Had the big preacher's voice and everything. I mean, he was just amazing. This guy ran into some problems in his personal life, and, and he tried to work through some things. But his church, his congregation, people close to him, you know, they, they kind of thought he walked on water. And when they found out that he was struggling with some things, man, they, they turned on him. They ripped him to shreds. They kicked him out, kicked him away. They wanted nothing to do with him. And he lost everything he'd been living for, his ministry, his family, everything he'd had. It was gone. And he took the hurt of that into his heart and he got bitter about it. A few years went by and the bitterness grew and there were certain people in his hometown he didn't even want to see. And here he was struggling through life. He was getting up in years and didn't know what to do, how to make a living, how to even provide. He lost everything. Then he got sick. I mean, really, really sick. Wound up in the hospital and one day the doctors walked in and said, Sir, we, we just got to tell you, there's nothing else we can do. Here's what's going on in your body. We've tried everything. We've had no success. Something's blocking all of this. If something doesn't happen quickly, you're going to die the next few days. When the doctors left, he said he laid in that room by himself and said, God, I don't know what to do. I've let people destroy my life. I've been angry and bitter and and God, I'm carrying all this stuff. I don't know what to do. And God spoke to him so clearly and said, you know what to do. You've preached it for years. And that man laying in that sick bed, and this will tell you how long ago it was, he pulled open his nightstand drawer there in the, in the hospital, took out a phone book, started looking up people's names and calling their phone numbers. One by one by one, he called every person he could think of and said, this is so-and-so, you know who I am. I've held bitterness against you for years for things that you did to me, but I want you to know I forgive you. I turn loose of it. I hope you can forgive me. I want to go forward in God, and I want a clean heart as I stand before God. One after another after another, he made phone calls, and he started feeling better and better and better. And when he finished making all those calls, all of a sudden his strength returned. The next day they sent him home from the hospital with a clean bill of health. He'd been healed by the power of God. Now... I know a lot of prayers are prayed that they're not answered the way we want them to be answered. But it does not change the fact that God is a healer and he wants to bring healing to our bodies. If there are things in the way of his, of his power, we need to change it. The, the question is not, does God want to heal? The question is, why would God not want to heal me? If you solve that riddle, the rest of it will fall right into place. And, and then the third question, real quickly, James chapter 5, toward the back of your Bible. I love the writings of James because James was evidently one of the major voices, perhaps the leader or the pastor of the church in Jerusalem in his day. He was a real strong voice and he wrote a letter to the church. But in James chapter 5, this, this pastor who had to live with the people, his writings are so common sense and clear, no game playing with him. In verse number 14, James 5, 14, he says this, or he asks this question. Is anyone among you sick? I've already asked a couple of questions. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be whole? Only believe. Only believe what? The third question, James writes to the church and asks, is there anyone among you who's sick? Any sick among you? 
If so, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I'm near the end of my message, and I, I, I want to drive this home, and I want us to make this very personal today. Is there anybody here today who's sick? I, don't want, I want a show of hands. Don't need you to raise a voice. But take inventory. Is anyone among you sick? James asked that question, and then to those who would say yes, he gave these instructions. He said, first, to those who are sick, go to the elders and have them pray for you. See, I see elders as a function, not a title. There are people who function as elders who don't carry that title. There are people who carry the title who don't function well as elders. I see elders as older people, experienced people who know how to stand in faith with other people. They are examples to other believers. And James said, if you're sick, go to the elders and have them pray for you. And the next to the elders, he said this. Elders, you need to anoint people with oil, which is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God overshadowing them. Anoint people with oil and pray a prayer of faith. Not a prayer of doubt, prayer of unbelief, not a maybe God, a prayer of faith saying, God, we believe you can, we believe you will, and we believe you want to do this in this person's life. See, we have prayer teams here at the Bridge Church. On Sunday mornings when service is over, our prayer teams are here, and we ask you to come forward for prayer. And I watch every week we have one or two come forward. But then every week I hear of dozens and dozens of people who are in need. And this week as I was studying, this message has been brewing for two or three months. This week as I was preparing, I realized there are a lot of us who maybe believe, but we've not obeyed what God's told us to do. Well, if, if, the, if Jesus would show up in my room and I could just see this image of Jesus, I could be healed. Well, if, if Pastor Gary would come to my house and pray for me, I could be healed. If Pastor Ann would come, or if this person or that person. No, the instructions are, you go to the elders of the church, let them anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. Pray a prayer of faith. Then the promise is, the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. Then it even goes one step further. I'm going to read it to you. Verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The man or woman praying a prayer of faith, a passionate prayer of faith carries weight with God. But there's something he puts in conjunction with this. He says, confess your sins to one another. What is it that keeps me from having only believe faith? What are the things I believe that interfere with what God has said in his word? What are the things I've done that are interfering with my relationship with God and others? Confess your sins. Confess your faults. When you come in faith, the prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise them up. When I was 18, I guess 19 years of age, something miraculous happened in my family. My dad was one of the best men I've ever known in my entire life. If I can be half as good a man as he was, I will have lived a good life. My mom took me to church every Sunday and several times a week when I was growing up. My sister as well. When the door of the church was open, we were there, but my dad didn't go. Occasionally he would pop in on a Sunday night, but not very much. He believed there was God. He believed Jesus was the Son of God, but he'd had some difficulties as a young man and got hurt in a church situation and would never go back. 
His attitude was, I'm, I'm as good a Christian as those people are. Why do I need to go to church? Which, by the way, as a side note, maybe some of us need to consider the way we live and the way we use the name of Jesus. But here's what happened. I didn't even know this until after the fact, but we had friends who came to visit us from out of state. They were old friends of my parents. They hadn't seen them in years. They're believers, and they, they went to eat, and they're sitting around a dinner table. And they start talking about God's healing power and some things they'd heard about. And my dad pipes up. Remember, my dad never talks about God, never talks about church, doesn't have any need for that whatsoever. My dad pipes up and says, let me tell you what happened to me. Several weeks ago, the church had this special guest speaker, and he was praying for people, and people were getting healed. So I went to church to see what it was about. And he said, I'm sitting in church on Sunday night, sitting right down a few rows back, and this guy just stops while he's sharing and says, you know what? God wants to heal somebody here right now who's been fighting migraine headaches. And he said, if that's you, stand to your feet. My dad said, man, I got to my feet. I fought migraine headaches for years. I, I'd miss two or three days a week at work. I'd be laying out in the back of a car. He was a mechanic. I worked half a day, go out and lay in the car for a couple hours, come back and finish my work day. And he said, I was sick of my migraine headaches. And he said, I got to my feet. And this guy prayed for all of us. He said, there were probably 10 of us that stood up who said they fought migraine headaches. He said, I don't know what happened to the other 10 of them, but I haven't had any more migraine headaches since I was prayed for. Now, stay with me. These friends look at him and said, well, Howard, that was my dad's name. Howard, don't you know the Bible says the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up? When you stood up in faith believing that Jesus was a healer, you also stood up in faith believing what he did on the cross was for you. Did you know God has already started to work in your life? You just need to accept it. Right there sitting in a restaurant, my dad who had run from God my entire life bowed his head and welcomed Jesus into his heart and into his life. I've seen too many things through the years. I've seen how good God is. And I know that I know that I know. Is anyone sick among you? Have you believed? Have you obeyed what Scripture tells us to do? In closing today, and I know I've been just two minutes long, but I'm going to finish right now. I told you I was going to finish on time. I almost told the truth, okay? I, I was trying. I wasn't lying. I was just preaching, okay? <laughs> Stay with me. I'm almost finished. In this building today, maybe you walk through these doors and you've got all kinds of needs. Your first need is you need Jesus to wash away the past. Forgive you of your sins. Take what he did on the cross and apply it to your life. Take everything that's wrong with you, let it be put on him, and then let him put everything good about himself into your life. You need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It begins right there. I want to pray a prayer right now, and I want to give everybody in this room an opportunity to open your heart. God loves you so much, he put his own son on a cross to wipe away your sins and bring you into his family. But you have to accept what he did for you. Scripture says we're saved by grace through faith. He extends the grace, we receive it by faith. The way that begins is with a simple prayer of acknowledgement. God, I receive it. I receive it. I'm going to ask every, every person to bow your head, close your eyes. I'm going to ask everybody here to pray this prayer with me. Say, God, I need you. I open my heart to you. Please come into my life. I accept Jesus as my Savior. I choose Jesus to become the Lord of my life. I welcome you. Father, I want to know you. I want to learn your ways. I want to follow you. From this moment forward, you'll be my father. I'll be your child because of Jesus. Thank you for receiving me into your family. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, that's just the beginning of the journey. It's not the end. You've begun a relationship with God. We've got a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. It's just simple instructions, simple reading for the next week to help you start building that relationship with God. We want to give it to you today, free gift, no strings attached, no, no price tag whatsoever. In a few minutes when service is over, we're going to have prayer teams out here. 
If you just walk up to one of these prayer teams and say, hey, can I get the book? They'll give it to you right here. You can go. If you've got questions, we'll answer questions. If you want prayer for something else, we'll pray with you. No strings attached. If you're in a really big rush out in the lobby, right in the middle of the exit where the glass doors are, there's a counter set up there. You can stop by there, get the same booklet there. Just walk up and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you there. It's our gift to you. Can we just put our hands together and welcome new believers into God's family? Now, last thing, I'm going to dismiss you in about one minute. We're going to pray for people who are battling sickness today. Our prayer team members who are here are going to come right now and get in their normal places, different areas here in the building. So prayer team members, come on forward. Our pastors are going to come as well, some of our pastors' wives. We're simply going to pray prayers of faith today. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to dismiss everyone so those of you who need to go can go. If you want to stay at your seats and just pray with us in faith, that's great. If you just want to go, that's fine. I just don't want to hold anyone who doesn't want to stay longer. But we're going to simply pray prayers of faith. And what we're going to do is we're going to use the three middle aisles. There's an usher who will be posted at the end of each of these three aisles. Just come forward and then they'll release you one at a time to one of our prayer team members. Ann and I'll be down here praying as a husband and wife team. We're going to pray prayers of faith and believe God to bring healing into your life. Now, we're not here to do counseling right now. We're here to pray prayers of faith. When you come forward, we're going to ask you, what do you want us to pray with you for? We're going to pray with you. We're going to believe. We're going to let you go and let God do his work. So I'm going to ask you this morning, everyone stand if you would, please. God bless you. Thank you for being in church today. If you need to go, God bless you. If you want prayer, come on forward. We're here to pray with you today. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.